Well, good evening, everybody. Welcome to our um, Sunday evening service, which is going to be a little bit different um, this evening. As you may know, we've been preaching through the um, book of Ephesians on Sunday mornings, and we've come to a section of the letter which um, deals with how we live out our Christian faith in relationships. Um, so we thought it might be useful to have some practical seminars to go along with uh, the teaching in the morning. Um, first of those we're going to look at this morning then is on mar- this evening is on marriage. Um, next we will look at parenting, and the week after that we'll look at um, divorce. Uh, we had hoped to do one on singleness, but that was the week that clashed with the Jubilee, so we'll have to come back to that um, another time. But a lot of the principles we'll be looking at uh, uh, is not just in marriage, it can be applied to other relationships. So if you're somebody here uh, who's here this evening who's not married, um, hopefully there'll be something in it for you. Um, but also, it's also just understanding some of the pressures in marriage and how we can help and support those who, who are married and pray for them. Well, as I said, we're looking at marriage um, this evening, but um, let's focus uh, our start of our service on, on God, the one who his perfect love for us is the one who's enabled us to have a relationship with him. And let me start by reading a prayer um, of Jesus to the Father. And this is um, what Jesus prays. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me, for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let's pray. Father God, those are amazing words to hear and really take on board to fully comprehend that the love that you have for your son, a love that has existed before the creation of the world, is the same love that you can have for us as Jesus is in us. It's a perfect love, a faithful love, a love that nothing can, can change. Nothing can separate us from that love. And so we do come to you this evening, being encouraged by, by a sense of your love for us. We want to know more of what it means to love one another perfectly. And we know we can't do that because there is still sin in us. But we thank you that in Jesus Christ you have modeled that love to us. And we thank you that as he works in us and through us by your spirit, that we can love one another in the same way that he has loved us. So Lord, help us to grow in the knowledge of that love. Help us to show that love to one another, but particularly in our marriages, as we'll look at this evening. And help us to come away this evening, not discouraged by how far short we fall of the love that you have for us, but encouraged to go forth from here, knowing that you love us and want us to grow in that love. So Lord, help us to focus on you now as we start our time of worship. Remind us of your faithfulness towards us 
and the fact that you have redeemed us, you have saved us from our own sin. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are lots of aspects of marriage that we, uh, we could have dealt with in this seminar this evening. Um, some of you will have attended marriage courses that we've done here in the church, and uh, we will do those um, again at some point. Um, but what I thought it might be helpful to focus on this evening is verse 1 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, which uh, says this. It says, Follows, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's picked up again that same principle in verse 25 of that chapter. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. So the big challenge that gives us is then how can we show the love of Christ in our marriages? We're going to start looking at that. Um, and then we'll look at um, the second half of this, well, what happens when it all goes wrong? Um, how do we deal with conflict in, in our marriages? But let's start with the, the positive stuff. How can we show the love of Christ in our marriage? Hopefully this is going to be a bit interactive and get you to do a bit of work as well, so it's not all going to be coming from, from me at the front here. Um, so let's start by throwing it out there. If um, we are to love our husbands and wives like Christ loves us, what will that love look like? What does Christ-like love look like in marriage? What are some of the characteristics of that love? Anybody want to shout uh, something out? Uh, um, shout out something. Patient. Patient. Patience. Yeah. Sacrificial. Sacrificial. Forgiving. Forgiving. Yeah, both be forgiving at the same time. Well done. <laughs> Selfless, yeah, selfless. Yeah, Roger. Listening to what your wife says. Listening to what your wife says. I'm sure there's a lifetime of marriage. You've learned that lesson, Roger. Well done. But, uh, there's, um, here's a helpful definition which uh, Paul Tripp has come up with in his book, Marriage. Some of you may have read that. It did have its previous title called um, What Did You Expect, um, which uh, I think was changed in the latest version. Maybe decided that wasn't the most helpful title. Um, but this is the definition he comes up with. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. That's quite a challenging Definition is quite a high bar, isn't it? Let's look at each of those points in turn, though. Love is willing. Um, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my accord. Jesus chose, he wanted, he still wants to, to love us. He delights in loving us. He prayed, as we read from John 17 earlier, that the Father would love us like he has loved the Son. If we love out of compulsion or duty, um, then it's not real love, is it? Love has to come from the heart. It has to be willing. Secondly, love is willing self-sacrifice. Jesus gave himself up. He laid down his life for his people. As we heard last Saturday, the way they death 
is the start of love. You cannot love somebody genuinely without sacrifice. If you're not giving anything up, then effectively it's self-love because you're benefiting from it as well. Love calls you to put to death, to give up your own wants and desires and comfort for the sake of somebody else. Paul Tripp goes on to write, Love calls you to be silent when you want to speak and to speak when you would like to be silent. Love calls you to act when you would really like to wait and to wait when you would really like to act. Love calls you to stop when you really want to continue and it calls you to continue when you feel like stopping. Love requires you to lead when you'd really like to follow and to follow when you really want to lead. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. Jesus gave himself up for the church, for the joy set before him, for the, the salvation of his people he endured the cross. Love always focuses on the, the interests and needs of another and enjoys serving those interests and meeting those needs. If the other person does not benefit from your act of love, whether it's something said or something done, then it falls short of real love. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation. Ephesians tells us that when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, Jesus died for us. In other words, when we were unable to repay him for his sacrifice, but that didn't stop him dying for us. Love is not about keeping a record of our acts of love and what somebody else owes us. It's not about doing something for somebody else in the hope that they might do something for us. It's simply done for the good of another without any need to be repaid. And finally, it is not that the other person being loved is deserving. Christ died for us when we were his enemies. We were deserving of God's wrath, not his love. If we just love the lovable, if we just love those deserving of love, it's really just loving ourselves. Love is seen in all its power when the person we love is not deserving of our love. And if you think about it, if you only give love when the other person is deserving, then you'll spend a lot of your time not loving them, won't you? Because none of us is really deserving of that love. So what does this look like in everyday life? Well, let's turn to the well-known passage in 1 Corinthians 13. If you've got your Bibles handy. Context of this is not really meant to be talking about uh, marital love, but it is still an excellent description of what love uh, should be like and which we can apply, I think, uh, to, to marriage. Let me read it out and I'll look at some of these individual aspects of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor honors others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Well, as we look at each aspect of, of love that's mentioned here in this passage, 
I think inevitably we're going to be confronted with our own shortcomings, our own failings. Um, but I pray that um, as we do so, it will cause us to turn to Christ and ask for his forgiveness and his help and his strength um, with which uh, he longs to, to fill us. So love is patient. Um, that means being willing to have your own life complicated by the needs and struggles of your husband or wife. And the trouble is we don't like to have our life complicated, do we? Um, we don't like our plans to be interrupted or to have to deal with problems we haven't anticipated. But being patient means finding greater joy in helping the needs of another rather than getting on and doing what we need to do. It means accepting we won't often be able to find quick fix solutions, but we will have to be patient Love is kind. Be kind is not just to react to the needs of our spouse, but as we were looking at last Sunday, to know them so well that we can anticipate them. So it means finding joy in studying them, their temptations, their, their gifts, their opportunities, their responsibilities, their weaknesses, their, their strengths. How can we meet their needs and show kindness to them. It means knowing our spouse's needs as well as we know our own. Love doesn't envy. When things are going well for our uh, husband or wife, um, we rejoice with them. Rather than focus on things that are not going so well for us and feeling envious. It doesn't boast. If things are going well for us, um, we don't become proud and conceited, uh, but remain humble. We give thanks together to the Lord, acknowledging that any success or achievement we are able to, to, to rejoice in comes from, from him. And the more we focus on our spouse's needs, um, the less likely we are to boast in our own successes and achievements. Love is not proud. Um, pride takes different forms, doesn't it? Um, it? It can be the boasting type of pride that we just looked at, or it can be an unwillingness to accept our failings and to say sorry. But there will inevitably be misunderstandings in our marriages from from time to time. Maybe as a result of not communicating as clearly as we thought we had. Maybe just not hearing well. At such times it's tempting just to, to win the argument, prove that we were right. But instead we're called to focus on clarifying the misunderstanding and resolving the issue. Maybe when our spouse speaks the truth in love to us, which is what it talks about in, in Ephesians, uh, maybe challenges us about our behavior. We don't respond defensively. We don't seek to find excuses. We don't deflect the criticism by pointing out the failings in our spouse's behavior. But we take on board the comments. We examine uh, our hearts. We confess our wrongdoing to God. We seek the forgiveness of him and, and our spouse and try in God's strength to, to change. We're always willing to ask for forgiveness and always willing to grant forgiveness when it's requested. Love doesn't dishonor others. In moments of disagreement, um, we don't attack our spouse's character, um, assault their intelligence. We exercise self-control over our tongues. We don't use absolutes like you always do this. Maybe you always put your work first. You never think about my concerns. 
all that does is just make your spouse defensive and fails to acknowledge the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in their life. Love is not self-seeking. Um, we all struggle with being self-seeking, don't we? And, and selfishness, because sin is still in our lives. Um, in our marriages, that may show itself in being so consumed with our desires and duties that we, we don't notice, we don't respond to the needs of our husband and wife or wrapped up in our little world. We may be self-seeking the way we use our time or money and a reluctance to help out with all the, the household chores. Maybe we just can't even be bothered to, to talk. If we're not self-seeking, then we won't try and flatter, lie, manipulate or deceive in order to get what we want. We won't do things for our spouse in order to get something in return. Love is not easily angered. Again, because of our, our sin and blindness, we often see the faults in our spouse rather than our own faults. Love doesn't point out every minor offense. Love avoids unnecessary conflict. Love keeps no record of wrongs. We don't keep going on and on about that time that uh, they let us down, they did something wrong. We forgive, we forget, we move on. We don't drag things up, maybe to manipulate or win an argument. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It's tempting, isn't it, when we've been wronged or hurt or been treated badly to, to respond in the same way. The love overcomes evil with good through the strength of God's grace. Love always protects. I think when we read that, we probably immediately think of physical protection, making sure our spouse is safe, no harm comes to them, and that is important. Let's also think about their emotional, their spiritual protection. It means protecting them from the influence of the world, the devil, and the sin in their own heart, which is what speaking the truth in love is, is all about. I've always trust. Trust is an essential part of marriage, isn't it? We want our spouse to know they can depend on us, that we'll keep our promises to the best of our ability with God's strength. There should never be any mistrust or suspicion in a marriage, but openness and honesty. I've always hopes, if we are believers, then we can take great comfort from God's promise that he will complete the work that he has begun in us. So we can hope for change in ourselves and in our spouse, because it's not dependent on our efforts, it's dependent on, on him and trusting in his promises. If our spouse is not a believer, we can hope and pray that God will have mercy on them. And finally, love always perseveres. Even when our spouse does not love us in the way we love them, when they're demanding and critical, when they refuse to help, we persevere in love when it's not reciprocated. Love perseveres when our spouse is ill and physically or mentally unable to love and reciprocate. And that's a lot to live up to, isn't it? Um, and inevitably, we will get it wrong, which will lead to conflict, which we'll come on to in a minute. But before we do come on to, to that, does anybody want to ask any questions about that, any comments about that um, from your own perspectives, maybe some practical examples of what that might look like, maybe some ways you have um, 
benefited from wisdom of, of others. Anybody want to comment or question before we, before we move on? No, good. All crystal clear so far. Might be clear, but might be harder to put into practice, mightn't it? But we are going to spend some time in the end just praying, praying about these things. Well, let's come on to conflict then. How can we deal with conflict in our marriage? Let me just read a little, um, uh, case study from this little book by Tim Chester. Some of you may know it, Gospel-Centered Marriage, which I can recommend. It's not too, too long. It's an easy read. Um, lots of different chapters with, um, questions. Um, and things to work through at the end of them. But let me read a, a little case study. Um, and you may be able to resonate with, with this. She's always late, Dave said to Pete. Always. Last night we didn't leave until 8 o'clock. I was ready at 7.30. But we were only five minutes late, said Paula. What's the big deal? Well, we said we'd be there at half past. You know I don't like to feel rushed. I want to feel everything's under control. Besides, I don't like to keep people waiting. You care too much about what people think. I care too much. What about you? I wasn't the one who took an hour to get ready. You're the one who wanted to impress people. Pete wondered what he should say as his friends argued. Come back to that in a minute. It's a typical example, isn't it? Just a conflict within a marriage. And we can brush it off as just a, a small thing. But marriage is made up of a whole load of small moments. And the more those moments are characterized by conflict, uh, the more the marriage will be sapped of joy, the more unhealthy the marriage will become. Unless the conflict is dealt with, it will ultimately destroy the marriage. And what the little story um, demonstrates is how conflict normally arises. It's um, seeing things through our lens... And therefore, if things haven't gone as we think they should have gone, then it must be the other person who is at fault. It can't possibly be, be us, because we did everything right. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it, to remember? Um, when Adam was confronted by God about his sin, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Not only was Adam blaming Eve, he was even blaming God for putting her there with him in the first place. When we get married, we bring a whole load of stuff with us that affects the way we relate to, to one another and can result in conflict. Let's put it out there, a question here. What are the sort of things from our past that affect the way we relate to one another in marriage, anybody want to shout some, some things out? What things from our past may affect the way we relate to one another and may lead to, to conflict? Yeah, the way you were brought up as a child. Um, your parents may have had a very different way of bringing you up compared to the parents of your, your spouse. Um, yeah. Unresolved hurts, yeah, yeah, there can be a lot of um, emotional baggage from some event um, or, or time in your life when there was just hurt and that has never really been been dealt with and you're carrying that with you into your marriage. Yeah. Poor role model, yeah, yeah. Um, comes back to upbringing partly. I mean, you may have had some 
great Christian parents. Uh, maybe your spouse didn't have Christian parents. Maybe they're brought up in a non-Christian family, a very different role models. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Different um, uh, backgrounds in terms of finance, of, of availability of money. Um, maybe you have different ideas on how much you should spend on different things. Um, money often leads to conflict in marriage, doesn't it? Um, thinking about what you spend your, your money on. Yep. Different cultures, yeah. If it's a cross-cultural marriage, um, you're coming at, at it from different angles. Um, it's not just the family that's different, it's the whole culture that you've, you've grown up in or, or approach things in a different way. Um, yeah. Anything else? I think that's men mentioned quite a lot. And to, sorry, did you want to say something, James, or are you stretching? Yeah, church preferences. Yeah, maybe you, you're both Christians, you've been grown up in, in church, but you've gone to very different churches, and uh, you're now trying to find one that, that works for, for both of you. Yeah, absolutely. So all those things affect our behavior, but what is at the root of our, our conflict in, in marriage? Um, because the, the situation, the circumstances may cause conflict, but often all they do is provoke a sinful attitude in our heart. And the first thing we need to do to deal with conflict in our marriages is to acknowledge that the cause of conflict is a sinful thoughts and, mar- and, and thoughts and desires of our hearts. If you've got your Bibles handy, turn to James 4. Read those first two verses. There says, "What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight." The heart, when it's mentioned in the Bible, as I'm sure you know, refers to the inner person. It includes our thoughts, our feelings, our, our desires. You cannot get what you want, James says. The behavior of our spouse may be wrong, but often it reveals the sinful desires in our hearts. What they're doing means we can't get what we want, um, whatever that may be. And a sinful desire is not just a wanting something that is bad for us. Um, it may be wanting something good, but that good thing has become more important to us than, than God. It's become what we call an, an idol. What are some of the things that might become, another question, what are some of the things that might become idols in our marriages? Things that are not necessarily bad, but have become more important than God and the love we have for our spouse. Um, anyone want to throw something out? Yep, Jeff. Sorry. Perfectionism. Yeah, yeah. Um, we want to be perfect. Maybe we want our spouse to be perfect as well. We have uh, that sense of perfectionism. It's good that we want to do everything really well, but perfectionism can become an idol, can't it? Yeah. Yes. Work. Yeah, again, it's a good thing to work. Um, we're told to go out to, to earn money, to provide for, for our family. 
uh, use the gifts that God has given us, but work can become an idol, can't it? And it can impact the marriage if we're putting more attention into um, our work than into to our marriage. Children. children, yeah, even children can become an idol. Again, a lovely thing, children, a great gift from the Lord, but we can worship them more than God. Um, and that can affect their um, relationship with God if we're showing them more love than we should be showing to towards towards God. Education, yeah, yeah. Again, we want our children to to be educated. We want to um, learn more ourselves. Maybe we we pursue uh, further studies, but are we doing that at the expense of that time, that love for um, our spouse and for for God? Let me uh, throw out a couple other ones for you. Um, and this one you might feel strange. It's a desire for love, respect, appreciation from our spouse um, that's a great thing isn't it we want to be loved by our spouse but are we depending on that more than the love of God are we looking to our spouse for our, our worth and identity rather than finding that in Christ if they're not loving us as we want them to um, is that impacting us the desire in a marriage for, for fun for sex, for happiness, again, all part of, of, of marriage. But are we depending on our spouse to provide them more than the fulfillment that comes from Jesus? Um, he's the only one who can provide that ultimate fulfillment. So we're looking for that fulfillment from our spouse rather than from him. Desire for security, comfort, peace. Now, again, all good things, but are we trusting in our spouse to provide them for us? rather than trusting that God is the one who's in control and is the only one who can really provide that for us. So different things that may become idols in our marriage. So the first step to dealing with um, conflict in our marriage is acknowledging that the cause of conflict is the sinful thoughts and desires of our hearts, which may include those good things, those idols. Um, Secondly, we need to identify them. What are they? Often we're the ones who are blind to them. So what are those uh, sinful thoughts and desires. Uh, and often the way to, to, to be able to do that is this, when you have an argument with your spouse, um, when they do something or say something that irritates you or makes you angry, work out why is it that you feel angry in that particular moment? What exactly has made you angry? Is it because something that you are valuing more than them or God has been threatened? Um, Maybe it is that, that round of golf that you're not able to play um, and that has made you angry because uh, your wife uh, is uh, reluctant to let you go and play your golf. Um, maybe it's work. Um, your wife's getting angry that you're spending so much time at work uh, and therefore you can't do your job as well as you'd like to do it. Again, is it, is it is work an idol? We may react to those um, situations of conflict in different ways according to our personalities. Um, some may, if you've um, done the marriage course, will know about the rhino approach and the, uh, the hedgehog approach. The rhino approach is to, to have a full-blown argument. Your wife's, your husband said something that annoys you. Let's just let's battle it out. Others may adopt the, the hedgehog approach. Just put their head in the sand, give them the silent treatment, the sulk. Whatever our way of responding... Um, 
we need to work out what is it that's triggering it. Because um, it's not that one way or the other is better. They're, they're both bad. Um, but what is it that's triggering it? That's what we need to identify. Uh, that's one of the wonderful things about marriage, isn't it? That God has put us together with another person, and together God is refining us. He's, he's pointing out our failings um, through our, our other half, helping us to learn more about ourselves and to grow in our relationship with God. Let's go back to the story about um, Dave and Paula. And um, I'll read it out again, but um, think about what are the, the, the sinful desires that they both have, Dave and Paula. Let me read it again. She's always late, Dave said to Pete, always. Last night, we didn't leave until 8 o'clock. I was ready at 7.30. But we were only five minutes late, said Paula. What's the big deal? We said we'd be there at half past. You know I don't like to feel rushed. I want to feel everything's under control. Besides, I don't like to keep people waiting. You care too much about what people think. I care too much. What about you? I wasn't the one who took an hour to get ready. You're the one who wanted to impress people. Pete wondered what he should say as his friends argued. Well, just in twos or threes, just... um, uh, Discuss what are the sinful desires of their hearts, Dave and Paula. A couple of minutes just to talk about that. Okay, I know you could speak about this for for a long time, but um, anybody want to throw something out? Let's start with uh, Dave. Um, What are Dave's um, sinful desires that have been revealed in this uh, episode that's led to conflict between him and his wife? So he, he's assuming that his wife wants to impress. Yeah, okay, so he's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's made Dave angry, though? What's made Dave angry in this situation? What is, um, he wasn't in control. Dave is somebody who likes to be in control. He's got the plans all worked out, and uh, he's got it all going, but his wife's upset that desire for him to be in control. Um, and... Uh, yeah, he's made him angry. Um, he's made him angry. And then there was that exaggeration. You always. You always. Yeah, yeah. No, no. He, she has in this situation, but yeah, we should never say you always. Um, why is that, that? I mean, in some ways, it's good to make plans, um, but ultimately, God is the only one who's in control, isn't he? Loads of things can upset our plans, um, not just our husband or wife, uh, but unless we're trusting that. If something has thrown those plans uh, awry, then we still trust that God knows, um, and we don't blame anybody else for that. In control, anything else from Dave's point of view? Yeah, that's not particularly helpful, is it? <laughs> Let's deal with uh, the issue um, alone, privately, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a woman. He, for those listening, he do, he's not a woman. He doesn't know how long it takes to get ready. Um, yeah. Anything else uh, in terms of idols, though? What um, what might um, that situation of challenge in terms of what's important to him? Is the control things? Anything else? Do you think he's worried about what other people think? Isn't he? Um, now again, that's, that's not a bad thing. You know, if we don't want to be late and, and leave somebody waiting, but sometimes that can become an excessive fear, can't we? We're worried that um, if we're late, that may um, threaten their view of us as Mr. Reliable, Mr. I've got it sorted. I never let you down. 
Um, so it's worrying about what people think of us. Um, again, the main person we obviously we need to fear is God, have that reverent awe of God. He's the one we want to, to love and to, and to serve, and uh, it's not people. Um, God loves us even when we, we mess up. What about Paula? Anything, any issues for Paula? What, um, any issues you've identified there from her respect? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so she wasn't um, respectful of his desire to leave on time. Um, it seemed like, although it may take longer for women to get ready, it uh, seemed like from the story that um, she wasn't in a, in a hurry. Um, she didn't worry about um, causing him to, to be late. So a sense of selfishness there can be, can there, in, in relationships. Um, um, yeah, man, anything else from her point of view? Yeah, image. Yeah, um, I know. Again, it's nice to look good, isn't it? And to to dress up to look good when you go out. Um, and we don't know exactly the state of her heart. We're just we're surmising here. But it may be that um, she's worried about her image, how, how she looks to others, uh, as opposed to what is most important to God is the beauty of our of our heart. She might just be slow. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But ultimately, what we're doing here is looking at our own hearts. Um, so, if we were in that situation, what is it that makes us take a long time? Is it just because we're slow? Um, and only we know what that is. Um, are we trying to go faster, but we can't? Um, or are we just not bothered about keeping somebody waiting? So, it's looking at our own hearts. Um, what is it in these situations that causes us to do things in a certain way? So let's identify our sinful thoughts and the heart of our sinful thoughts and desires of our hearts. Um, thirdly, repent and humble ourselves before God. If you've got that passage in James open, it carries on in verse six. God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. As we identify the sinful desires of our hearts, um, we are acknowledging that they're all about us. It's all about us getting what we want. Um, and whether the thing that starts the conflict or the thing that escalates the, the conflict, um, we're trying to identify them. And so what we need to do is what James says here. It says, humble ourselves before God. Acknowledge that there's only one God, um, and we are guilty of putting ourselves in his place. We have to submit to his will for our lives, even if it's different from what we want for our lives, because he knows what is best for us. So to repent is, as I'm sure you know, to change direction, uh, turn away from seeking our own desires, and turn instead to God and his desires. So it means grieving our sinful desires, uh, because we know the impact they have on God. Um, and you may be thinking at this stage, well, why are you talking so much about God? Surely this is about marriage, isn't it? About my, my spouse. Um, but to resolve our conflict with our spouse, we need first to resolve our conflict with God. Put another way, we have to deal with the vertical problem before we deal with the horizontal problem. Because sin is first and foremost an offence against God. You may know the story of David, who committed adultery with Bathsheba, murdered her husband Uriah. He confessed in Psalm 51 to God against you. You only have I sinned 
and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. If we simply try and sort out the differences at a superficial level with our spouse, um, just try and do things better and don't address the underlying issue, then um, we're never really going to make serious progress in our marriage. When we humble ourselves before God, we're effectively coming down from that seat of judge that we have put ourselves in, um, uh, in which we may be judging our spouse as to their behavior and looking at our own heart. And we're freed from having to find an excuse for our own behavior. Um, We're freed from having to, to blame our spouse and focus on his or her failings because we've made ourselves right with God. We've humbled ourselves and come to him. As it says in verse 12, of, of James 4, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Or who are you to judge your spouse? So we need to repent and humble ourselves before God. And finally, we need to seek and offer forgiveness. James 4, verse 8, it says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. The wonderful news of the gospel is that Christ died so that we can be forgiven for our sins. And as we trust in him, we are freed from his wrath, We're free from his judgment. We're united to Christ and we are exalted by God. We now live to to glorify him. How shall that affect our marriages? Well, I'm no longer the center of my marriage. God is. And in my marriage, as in every aspect of my life, I now live to glorify him. So what is most important is growing in my relationship with God and helping my spouse grow in their relationship with God. So when an argument occurs, um, I don't try and defend my innocence or point out how my spouse is at fault. Even if I am innocent in this particular issue, I'm still just a sinner saved by grace. Who am I, therefore, to feel self-righteous? Who am I to, to take it out on my spouse, whether it's by having a go at them or going off in a sulk? If they are a believer... They've already been forgiven by Christ. He bore their punishment on the cross, so I have no right to demand more punishment than, than the punishment that Christ has already taken for them. But often conflict in marriage, as we said earlier, grows from the little things that our spouse may do that annoy us, that we might not even think worth talking about. But unless we forgive them, As we deal with them, they will grow and accumulate in our minds and lead to bitterness and resentment. And when we do talk about these things in our marriage that our spouse has done that might upset us, um, we need to do it in ways that don't condemn, but we seek to glorify God. So we avoid, as we were saying before, using those words like always and, and never. You never help around the house. 
feels, maybe do that in a different way. It feels to me, talk about how the impact is on you rather than talking in absolute terms. It feels to me like maybe you're not taking your, your fair share of the jobs around the house. Can we, can we talk about this? If your spouse does raise a concern with you, um, even if you don't agree initially that they're right, try to understand what they're saying, why they're saying it, where they're coming from. Try to understand why it is a big issue for them. And show you understand by, um, by repeating back to them what they're saying. Show that you understand what they're feeling. And if there has been conflict, don't just brush it under the carpet, but bring it to, to resolution. Um, say you're sorry. Ask your spouse, do you forgive me? For reconciliation to happen... There has to be repentance, there has to be forgiveness. It's when we repent of our sin and seek God's forgiveness that we are reconciled to God. Unfortunately, it's the work of the Holy Spirit who enables us to see our sin and to turn to him in repentance. But where there is no genuine repentance, then there can't be reconciliation, can there? And even where there is repentance that leads to reconciliation, when it may be a, a serious sin, like adultery, that will still take time to rebuild trust in that marriage. Where there is no repentance, that doesn't mean that we, we can't still love that person, but um, we'll need to pray to God that he would enable them to see their sin and bring them to repentance, because we can't do that. It's only God who can enable that person to repent of what they have done. So let's turn, just bring this to a close with the, the verse we started from Ephesians 5. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're going to have a time of prayer, just in twos and threes or fours, of praying into the things we've heard this evening. Um, you may want to do that with your, your spouse if you're with them or with others. Um, pray for one another. Before we do that, though, has anybody got any questions or comments they want to just uh, raise while we, we are together? And that might be helpful for others to, to hear. Anybody want to ask any questions? Yes, Roger. Let me just um, give you the mic. Otherwise, I'll have to repeat the question. Thanks so much. Something's been on my mind whilst we've been talking. You've been talking, um, and it's something I heard on Barbara and Year, but about three or four weeks ago. And I think it so applies uh, in the situation you're talking about. Um, his name's Saab. He's in India, and he has to go out every day to collect water, and he has to and urn on either side. And it's quite a long distance to get the water. And coming back, the time he gets back, the one on the right hand's got a crack, and most of the water's leaked out of it, or half of it has. And it apologises to him, I'm so sorry, I've, I've let you down, I've failed you. And to, I'll cut it short. And then Saab says to him, well look, have you not noticed that when we go down, all the, all the flowers that are on your side and the water that's leaked out has 
brought these beautiful flowers to highlight our path. And I think within marriage, um, one of you can see things in one way and not, real, and not realize the other. So it's a comparison of how we see things. And quite often, the chap will want to strive on ahead and the wife will say, hold tight, hold tight, you know. What about so-and-so and bring other things to light? So it's a sort of an illustration of um, how God works. Yeah, no, thank you for that, Roger. And um, when we talked earlier on about those different things that can potentially cause conflict in a marriage, but as you say, there are different ways, we have different personalities, we look at things in different ways, and together we can see things um, in ways which we wouldn't see on our own. So, um, yeah, marriage can be a wonderful sense of a, a two people complementing each other by God's design. Thank you for, for that. Well, let's turn to prayer and, um, yeah, Twos and threes around you. If you want to prefer just to pray on your own, that's fine. Um, let's spend a bit of time just asking God for, for help. Um, whatever the state of our marriage, whether it's just in a bad place or a really good place, we still want God's place every day um, and to, to, to trust in his mercies, which are new every morning. So let's, let's spend some time in prayer. Let's pray to finish. Father God, we thank you that in Christ, You have broken those bonds of sin and shame. Thank you for the new life and hope that that gives us. Thank you for the hope it gives us in our marriages. Lord, we do lift up the marriages to you in this church. And Lord, we pray that you would enable them by your grace to flourish and thrive Thank you that we have in Christ a a model for the way we should love as Christ loved us. A love that is sacrificial, that is selfless. That loves when, even when we are not loved in return. Or the object of our love is not deserving. Lord, help us to look at our own hearts. And uh, Lord, help us to identify things that hold us back from loving in the way you love us. Lord, forgive us of for them. And help us to look to, to help our spouse grow in their love for you and to glorify you in our marriages. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.